Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you all. It's always good. I especially appreciate it. Somebody came up to me this morning and said, I've been praying for you. I said, thank you. She said, I've been praying the Holy Spirit would just rest on you. I said, thank you. I count on your prayers. When I preach, I'm counting on you. So if you go away and you say, you know, I got nothing out of the sermon, it's your fault. <laughs> All right. Um, did you notice, I, I just need to pray before we get started. Lord, I pray that as we um, open your word, you would speak as only you can speak to us through your word. Help us to hear. Help us to hear new things about ourselves and new, new things about you. Things that we can apply to our lives. Things that will form us and make us in the people that um, you desire us to be. We ask it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm kind of hoping that you notice a discrepancy between what was just read and what Marcia said. Did you notice that? Marcia said the guy came down through the roof. The scripture didn't say that, right? That's because Matthew is a get to the point. Matthew's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Forget roof, yeah, whatever. Let's just get to the point. And Mark is like, oh, no, no, no. You got to have all the details. You got to know all the details. How did he get in front of Jesus? So it depends whether you're reading Matthew or Mark. I'm going to do both this morning. So thank you, Marcia, and thank you to our reader this morning. Because we're going to read, uh, read both. The story is also in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic Gospels. And they're called synoptic because they share a lot of the same stories. There's differences in the stories because each of them are trying to emphasize a different point. I want to begin this morning, though, by talking about um, the story about the man who comes to the roof. Uh, he's a paralyzed man, so I wanted to start with a story about a paralyzed person. Many of you know uh, or have heard of Johnny, John, Johnny Erickson Tata, right? Johnny has an incredible radio ministry, incredible ministry. She had a diving accident in 1967 at the age of 17. And she was um, a quad, left a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. In an interview by Nancy Guthrie and the evangelical Christian, who is a, a Christian author, Johnny, ex, Johnny expressed an interesting perspective on what she's looking forward to. This is what she says. You look at me in a wheelchair, paralyzed for 52 years, and most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to a new body. And yeah, that's one of those fringe benefits. But I'm looking forward to a new heart, a heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases, a heart free of fudging the truth, a heart free from hogging the spotlight, believing my own press releases, a heart free of not believing the best in others, a heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait 
to have a heart free of sin. When we get to this story about the paralytic, remember Johnny's statement. The healing is the fringe benefit in her own words. Yeah, that's the fringe benefit. But what I really am looking forward is to have a heart free of sin. And my question is, do you believe Johnny? Do you believe the scriptures? Let's take a look at the scriptures. Remember, I'm starting with Mark. This, the, the, the roof part is not in Matthew. Matthew just gets to the point. And when the two sort of match up, I'm going to skip over to Matthew. Because after all, this is a sermon series on the book of Matthew. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. Now, maybe that's Peter's home. We don't know. Jesus have a real home? No. But home was the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing village. And Jesus oftentimes returns back to Capernaum. So Capernaum is the, the base of operations in many ways because we will continue to hear Capernaum quite a bit in the Gospels. So after he returned to Capernaum, uh, it was part of the, it was home. And many, many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word for them. This place is packed. It's packed. There is not even room to move between each other. Absolutely packed room. And they're there to hear Jesus preaching. Now, the word isn't actually preaching. He's speaking to them. The word preach is a different word, but this is the translation. He's, he's speaking the word to them. And people want to hear the word. They're eager to hear the word of God. And I always find this interesting. What do I learn? Right away, this passage tells us something. The word of God is attractive. Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God is attractive? Because if you believe that, then you'll share the word of God with other people, right? Or do you tend to back away thinking, nah, they really don't want to hear what I have to say about the gospel. Nah, they, nah not really. They wouldn't. How many of you ever said this? They wouldn't be interested. I'll invite them to church. But they wouldn't. I know who they are. They wouldn't be interested. Really? Because the scripture says the word of God is attractive. The scripture says so many were gathered there, there was no more room. They couldn't even move. We had a missionary here uh, last month, uh, the Fagerleys. And they shared a story, I think it was out back after they shared here. Out back we had a time that evening. We saw a movie of theirs, and they shared an interesting story. They're trying to get into a place called Papua. Okay, Papua. And, and they couldn't get in with the plane because they had no airfield. So for 17 years, the community, the, the, uh, the natives to the, uh, to the area, began to build, to clear the jungle and build an airstrip 
by hand, which is why it took 17 years to build the airstrip. Nathan was going to fly in when it was built, and they're going to have Bible teachers teach. Nathan tells how the whole tribe sat when they got there. When they got there, the whole tribe sat for three months solid. Every day, the whole tribe listening. They neglected their farms and their hunting. They had enough food to go around, but they wanted to listen to the word of God for three months. When the tribe's food supplies began running low, the teachers divided the people in half. The Bible teacher said, okay, you guys go and work the farms today, and this group will stay and listen. When they come back, this group that has been listening will go and work the farms, and you guys will listen. So the next day when the missionaries got there, you know what they found? Nobody left. Nobody wanted to go work the farms. They wanted to hear the word of God. Three months. Do you think the word of God is attractive? Do you think people are hungry? It's really hidden in our culture. You don't see the hungry people, but they're there. They need you to bring them. Oh, that's what our story is about, isn't it? And they came. They, four men. We don't know who exactly. Could have been you. Marsha put it well, just friends. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not gear, get near, and the word near is really important. The word near means in the presence of. They could not get into the presence of Jesus. They could get near, but it'd be in the way far back. And that's hardly in the presence, outside the door. They wanted to get right next to Jesus. They wanted to get in his presence, but they couldn't get through the crowd. You know, a couple of interesting things. The word paralytic in Mark is mentioned five different times. Three in Matthew, because Matthew has a shorter description of what's happening. But in Mark, it's five different times. He's a paralytic. In case you didn't get it, he's a paralytic. In case you didn't hear, he's a paralytic. In case you didn't know, he's a paralytic. Oh, did I mention he's a paralytic? It's his distinguishing characteristic, right? Wouldn't that be sad? I mean, I hope you don't think of me as my distinguishing characteristic as I can't walk. Who's preaching? The guy that can't walk. Oh. But that's who he is. And this becomes really important in a few more verses. Really important. Because Jesus doesn't see him that way. Jesus sees a different kind of distinguishing characteristic. So they want to get this guy near Jesus. And it helps us to understand uh, what this story is about. This story is about getting this man into the presence of Jesus. But they can't get through the crowd. This is their first obstacle. The first obstacle they face is 
the crowd is people. People are an obstacle. And sometimes the greatest obstacle is yourself. Right? I'm too tired to get up and get going. I don't feel, I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, are you serious? Uh, well, I went last week. I'm going to go next week. I'm on vacation. I love that one. I'm on vacation. I know pastors that go on vacation don't go to church. It never made sense to me. But that's kind of my own family. And they're pastors. My brother, my brother-in-law. Bonnie and I go, and we go, we're going to church. And they go, goodbye. You know why I like that? Because Brandon, who's at Moody, gets very frustrated with Moody kids who don't go to church on Sunday morning. But he learned it somewhere. I'd like to think he learned it from his mother. Learned it from us. Because that's what we do. We need to be in the presence of Jesus. But he can't get through the crowd. People can be an obstacle. You can be your own best obstacle. But also people can be an obstacle. Remember Zacchaeus? People were an obstacle for Zacchaeus too. He wanted to see Jesus, but he is a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. They wouldn't let him in. He was a tax collector. They didn't care about him. Crowds can be mean. People can be mean. And they kept him out. And so Zacchaeus ran ahead, and guess what he did? He climbed. This guy can't get through the crowd, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to climb. Because getting into the presence of Jesus is everything. And these four men will do whatever it takes to get into the presence, get their friend into the presence of Jesus. They will do whatever it takes. But there's a second obstacle. Can't get in through the crowd, so as Marcia clearly said, they thought, okay, we'll come in through the roof. So that's what they did. They removed, it's really cool, in Mark it says, they unroofed the roof. In Luke it says, they took off tiles, but in Mark he just said, yeah, they unroofed the roof. They unroofed the roof above him, above Jesus. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And I like the picture that I put up there, because you see the guys up there letting down the paralytic. The mission is accomplished. They got this guy into the very presence of Jesus. What's so remarkable, and you probably don't even notice it, because you really have to, between this, those verses right there and that verse right there, there are ten verbs in the Greek. Ten verbs. Now, I'll tell you why that's important. Let's just go through what they are. Here's the first one. The men came to get the paralytic near Jesus. Bringing the paralytic to get near to Jesus. Carried him to get near to Jesus. 
could not. The word is actually, were not able. Because you say, could not, it's not a verb. But they were not able to get him near Jesus. Get near him. Jesus through the crowd. We're not down with all the verbs. Removed the roof to get near Jesus. Where he was, the phrase where he was is not in English translations, but it is in the Greek, stressing that getting near Jesus is the goal. He had made an opening to get near Jesus. Or they had made an opening. We're not done yet. Led him down, the paralytic down, to be near Jesus. And finally, on which the paralytic lay to be near Jesus. Do you think that was a lot of work? My father was in a coma for two years. And he was a big man. He was 6'2", 200 and some odd pounds. Even in a coma, 200 in some uh, You don't lose weight in a coma. And every once in a while, the nurses would say, okay, boys, my brother who's 6'2 and big, they'd say to us, okay, time to get your dad standing up. You know what kind of an effort that was for somebody that can't help you at all? It is, oh, I can't even tell you how hard that is. doesn't matter how strong you are. Dead weight is really hard. And this guy was dead weight. And it took these guys a lot of work. So Mark is stressing the incredible activity it takes to bring somebody near Jesus. Seven verbs. It takes incredible activity. But getting the paralytic near Jesus was worth all of their energy. So I ask you, how much energy are you willing to get are you willing to spend to get people near Jesus? It takes an effort. It takes a big effort. If you are a parent here this morning, it took an effort. Did it not to get your kids going? You got to get up. You got to get them dressed. You got to get them breakfast. You got to get their hair combed. got to get, maybe you brush their teeth, maybe not. But it takes an effort. It's a big effort, is it not? Do you know what kind of effort? You probably don't, but let me just tell you this. It takes Bonnie an incredible effort to get me here. Now, I can give her some help. I can actually stand. I can't walk, but I can stand. But it's still an effort. And it takes us, oh, at least this morning, we got up at 6.30 to leave the house by, we got up at 6 to leave the house by 8.30. Now, when I was able, if I woke up at like 6.20, I could be there at 6.30. Takes an effort. My question is, how much energy are you willing to spend to get near Jesus? My, you know, it takes the energy to get children there. It takes my mom, who doesn't like driving so much anymore, an effort. Somebody, my brother, he's got to decide, okay, I'm going to do it. When I was a youth worker associate pastor, actually, but I was in charge of the youth programs. We used to meet in a house. And, um, Bonnie, could you fix this, please?
please, on me. We used to, that's coming off my ear. We used to uh, meet in a, in a um, they had a parsonage. And we would meet, the parsonage was a youth meeting place. And we'd, the whole youth group would meet in there, and we'd be doing stuff, and I'd be talking. And there was a kid that we'd notice outside the window, looking in the window. His name was Doug. And Doug socially was a paralytic. People didn't really care about him. I don't know what they would have called him at school, but it probably, probably, probably is just unnoticeable. Probably didn't even notice him at school. But I noticed him looking through the windows every time we had youth group. And I, his grandparents went to church. He lived with his grandparents. So I talked to his grandparents and I said, you know what? Can I come over and pick up Doug for youth group? They were like, yeah, we'd be a little delighted if you do that. So I went over to his house. I knocked on the door. And his parents said, well, he won't come out. I said, where is he? Well, in his room. I said, can I go get him? They said, yeah, we'd love that. I go into his room. You know where he was? Under the bed. He was under the bed. You know what I did? I got under the bed. I said, Doug, you're going to youth group. That's not what's touching to me. Sorry. What's touching is not my effort. What's touching is that Doug never, he never missed a youth group. Sorry, you have to know who he was. Never missed a youth group, never missed a camp. But it took an effort to get him there. And my question to you is, is the effort worth picking somebody up in your car? Is the effort worth the kids and the hassles of getting kids to church? And is the effort worth saying, I'm dead tired. I was up late last night. Is the effort worth it? Is it worth getting anybody into the presence of Jesus? I say it is. I say it is. I've seen it. And you probably have too. But it takes an effort. And when Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, take heart, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And when he saw their faith, faith can be seen. It's not always easy to show your faith. It may take work. It may take a lot of work to show your faith. But faith always reveals itself in action. 
James says, you know, show me, by, show me your faith. By my works, I'll show you my faith. Faith always reveals itself in action. If you don't have action, you probably don't have faith because that's how faith reveals itself. If you say you're a person of faith, you get people before the Lord no matter how much it takes. And then he says, take heart, my son. Two things there. The word take heart actually means, it's not the word for heart. The word for heart in Greek is cardia. Cardia sounds like car- cardio, cardiac arrest. Cardia, heart. This word is theracio. Uh, theracio. So it's a very different word. It means to be firm or resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances. It means to be courageous. So Jesus looks at the man he says, be, have courage, be of good heart, be courageous. Your life is about to change. Are you ready? Something's going to happen to you that is going to be so significant that you're never going to miss youth group again. And then he says, my son. Oh, remember? Paralytic, 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 paralytic. Everybody else is paralytic. Who's he to Jesus? He is a son. The word is actually child, but male child, son. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. So the distinguishing aspect about this man is not that he's paralyzed. The distinguishing thing about this man is that he is a son. That's what Jesus sees. I bet everybody else saw a paralytic so that when Jesus said his sins are forgiven, everybody else said, Oh, Jesus, you're missing the point. He's a paralytic. He needs to walk. You need to forgive him. But remember Johnny Erickson? She said, yeah, the walking was a side benefit. What she needed was forgiveness. She needed that heart. Jesus didn't see a paralytic, which is why he didn't say right off the bat, rise up and walk. He saw a son. And because he saw a son, he saw somebody who needed to be forgiven. Now think about that for a second with me. Did he ask for forgiveness? No. Why did Jesus forgive him? He didn't, wasn't asking for it. Well, it's a really good illustration of a verse that um, is in Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he. So the double I means it's emphatic. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. God is personally invested 
God is personally invested in the forgiveness of our sin. God wants our sin to be forgiven. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish. God wants it. This is why Jesus calls him son. It's a term of relationship. He's not a paralytic. He's, my, he's a son. He's God's son, my brother. I want him to walk. Yeah, but I really want him to be forgiven. The walking is a side benefit, as Johnny says. God is glorified in this. God desires this. Jesus wants a relationship, but to have a relationship with God, one must be forgiven. The relationship is totally dependent on God, on Jesus, not on the man. The man can't forgive himself. It's all dependent upon Jesus. And we know that Jesus loves us because we see that he forgives sin for his own sake. I want a relationship. You know, people who are handicapped, I can say this, um, especially people who are paralyzed, I think, have limited interaction with other people, don't they? Because they can't get out. If I want to meet any one of you, somebody has to come with me. I have to go with Bonnie. If I want to see anybody, either they have to come to me or, I have to, or, or somebody has to bring me to them. That's why this guy has four friends. They have to bring him to Jesus because he can't do it himself. And so to have him say, son, I want to have a relationship with you. Can you even imagine what must be going through that guy's head? Oh, I'm not a paralytic to him. Maybe he doesn't even see that I'm paralyzed. Do not tell me he's rise up and walk. Mark Twain gave an interesting quote. He said, Mark Twain once said, man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. We are ashamed, are we not, of the things we've done in the past? Nobody is free. Nobody is free who is unforgiven. Jesus is freeing the man. Setting him free. Instead of being able to look at God in the face or to look one another in the face, we want to run away and hide. Our conscience troubles us when our conscience troubles us. This son can now look, literally, can look God in the face and be known by God. Would you rather walk or be known by God? Be able to look God in the face. I forgive sins for my own sake. I want to be known by you. God wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him. So he's going to forgive you. And I like the way this happens. So the guys are up on the roof, right? And he says this. He saw their faith and said to him, your sins are forgiven. I like the action there. Yeah, I see your faith, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And all of a sudden when he says that, he's looking face to face with God. And he is claiming to be God. 
Jesus knew that that sin was spiritually paralyzing this man. See, everybody else had the wrong kind of understood the wrong kind of paralysis. They thought what was paralyzing this man was his legs, and that's not true. What was paralyzing this man was sin. Do you realize that? Do you realize that sin paralyzes you? It paralyzes me. It's not my legs are not the problem. It's sins that's the problem. Do you wonder what Jesus was teaching? The guys are coming through the roof. You wonder what you think Jesus was teaching about sin? Do you think he was talking about how sin paralyzes us? Wouldn't that be ironic? Saying, hey, sin paralyzes you. Better cut off your arm. Oh, he did say that, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. Better cut off your arm or hand or pluck out your eye than to go to hell. Better be forgiven. Go to heaven. Wonder what he was teaching when that man came down. It would have been ironic to say, sin paralyzes you. And all of a sudden, the paralyzed man comes down. I don't know what he was teaching. Wholeness is found in forgiveness, not in walking as wonderful as that may be, and I know that. But I wouldn't trade my legs for my forgiveness. Bad trade. What does it mean to you to be whole? What's it mean to you to be whole? Now we're back to Matthew really carefully. And behold, here's that wonderful word, behold. I translate it, pay attention. Mark is saying this. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. And you see the problem? The problem is here, this man. If Jesus is a man, indeed, he is blaspheming. And if you're blaspheming in Jewish law, you deserve death. And Jesus deserves death if he is a man. Because he's claiming to be God. Because only God can forgive sin. Am I right? Then what right does he have to say to this man, your sins are forgiven? None. If he's a man. And that's the problem with the scribes. She's just a man. They don't understand the significance of what is happening here. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, Jesus always knows our thoughts. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said... Why do you think evil in your hearts? What's the evil they're thinking? I think the evil they're thinking is that Jesus is a man. That's an evil thought. Because he's God. Why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? How do you answer that question? Think about it. Now what's really interesting is Jesus says both. He says your sins are forgiven and he says rise and walk. So he's going to say them both. And by saying, 
which is easier, he's also saying, which is harder? If one's easier, one's harder. Which is easier and which is harder? Anyone, so let's think it through it for just a second here. Anyone can say your sins are forgiven. How are you going to disprove that? You're not God, Stuart. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I've been trying to convince my wife I'm God for a long time. And she says, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. How can you disprove that? If you say, stand up and walk, and the guy doesn't stand up and walk, then it's obvious you're a sham. So in some ways, it's harder to say, stand up and walk, and it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Although it doesn't really make sense, does it? For Jesus, it's easier. For Jesus, it's easier to say, rise and walk. Three words. That's all it takes from Jesus. Rise and walk. How hard is that if you're God? It's not hard at all. But I want you to think of the alternative. For Jesus to say you're forgiven, which he does. So Jesus does the easy thing and Jesus does the hard thing. To say your sins are forgiven means that he has to be beaten, lied about, beaten. He has to die on a cross, suffer and die on a cross. He has to be buried, and three days later, he has to rise from the dead. How easy is that? Pretty hard. I guarantee none of you can do it. I can't. Only Jesus. So Jesus does the easy thing, and Jesus does the hard thing. No matter how you look at it, if you switch it, he does them both anyway. So no matter what your answer is, he does it. And then Jesus says this. But that you may know that the Son of Man, now Drew talked about the Son of Man, comes from Daniel, power, glory from heaven. He's the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, now that's not Jesus saying paralytic, that's Mark. Well, it's Mark and Matthew and Luke. Okay, so this is not Jesus saying paralytic. He said son, he called him son. He says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Only in the Greek it says rise. You pick up your bed and you go home. We'll talk about it in a minute. The Son of Man has authority. One word on authority. One quick story. Sam, a guy named Sam Bronfman, was the late CEO of the Seagram's Corporation company. He entered a conference room and was anxious to get the meeting going. So he sat in the seat near, nearest to him. One of the young assistants immediately said, no, Mr. Bronfman, you're supposed to be at the head of the table. Young man, said Mr. Bronfman, wherever I sit is the head of the table. <laughs> this young man was getting schooled in a lesson on authority, right? The scribes are being schooled on authority. 
Jesus can do the hard thing, and Jesus can do the easy thing. He can heal, rise up and walk. He can forgive sins. Wherever Jesus is, that's the head. He's the head. He's the head of the church. And then he says, you pick up, you go home. You don't need someone to do it for you. You do it. You haven't done it for a long time, a long, long time. But you do it. So what's changed for this guy? Let's just think through what's changed for him real quick. His world just expanded. No longer is life contained to a bed. That's what a bed or a mattress or board of some kind that others have to carry. Think of how his, his life just expanded. His world just expanded. My world, when I got, got committed to this thing, shrunk. When people talk to me, I usually say, my life is defined by three chairs. Dining room table, or the, if we eat in the dining room, the dining room table or the kitchen table. Chair upstairs, very comfortable. And this. It's my life. Three chairs. If I was able to walk, my world expands. I don't have to rely on anybody. This man, Jesus says, your world just expanded. You tip it up and you go home. So his world just expanded. He doesn't need four men to take him home. He, the crowd isn't going to keep him from going. Remember, he couldn't get in through the crowd. You're not getting in. Well, guess how he's going to get out. He's not going to climb up back through the roof. He's going to go out through the crowd. You know why? Because he can push him away. He can say, make way. I'm going through you with my mat in my hands. Wow. He lays on his bed coming, but he carries his bed going out. See, when you're forgiven, everything changes. The paralysis is no longer there. He comes a sinner, he goes home for a saint, forgiven. And because he's forgiven, he goes home whole. He has found newness of life. It's remarkable. You say, does he have faith? We listen to Jesus. Does he have faith? Well, he obeyed Jesus. Does he have faith? He went home. Think about the significance of going home. For the first time in a long time, you can walk. And Jesus says, go home. Somebody who's not listening to Jesus, who doesn't want to be obedient, say, ah, I'm going to go down to the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in some water for a little bit. Or I'm going to go see my best friend over here. Or I'm going to go over here. Or I'm going to do, I can go hike in the hills. I'm go, no, I'm not going to go home. Why do I want to go home? She says, go home. And he goes home. He's responding to the forgiveness that God has just offered him. By faith. And he rose. And he went home. Don't know if that's the first place I'd go. But he did because he listened to Jesus. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given authority to men. Only they don't quite have it right, do they? It's not that God gave authority to men. Jesus had that authority because he was the son of God. The crowds 
tend not to really capture the whole picture. Frequently, the crowds don't capture it. They're amazed here, but pretty soon they're going to be saying, crucify that guy. The crowds are not trustworthy. So if you listen to the crowds, be careful. Really be careful who you listen to. This man is a picture of our spiritual condition. Spiritually speaking, sin is paralyzed. When we sin, we're paralyzed and we cannot walk in the spirit in the newness of life that Christ brings us. But wouldn't it be nice if spiritually we could just, when we realize we're forgiven, we can just start walking with God. It's what we need to do. So what are my takeaways from this? couple. Three to be exact. One, gospel is attractive. Don't be afraid to share it. Never decide for somebody else whether they are open to the gospel. Whether they'd be willing to hear. Don't ever say they probably wouldn't want to come. They probably wouldn't want to know. They probably wouldn't want to hear. Scripture says attract. Not everybody. We know from the parable of the sower. Not everybody's going to respond. But most people do. Two. Who? Who do you need to bring in the presence of Christ? And what do you have to do to bring them there? You may face a a personal um, uh, obstacle. You may face a physical obstacle. You may have to crawl underneath a bed. You may have to go into a home. What do you need to do to bring someone to Christ? Name that person. And figure out what you have to do to bring them there. These four men were willing to go all out. And I guarantee you it's going to take a lot of work. That's why Mark has seven verbs in two sentences, in two verses. It's going to take work. Three, Christ forgives us for his own sake. He wants to have a relationship with us. That's why we need to bring people to Christ, into his presence. Because God wants to have a relationship with them. Got to do it. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you because we can. We come to you because you make it possible, not because we have any ability in ourselves. You forgive sins for your own sake. That's just an incredible verse. So we come to you, and we lift up our prayers to you. We pray for Paul uh, Borvig, who's recovering from surgery. We pray that you continue to recover. People would... Remember him by writing cards and by giving calls and if the occasion presents itself to visit him. We pray for the pastoral search team, God, spending every single Monday together to, to do the best they can possibly do to find the person that you have all, already prepared. We pray for Andrew B. and uh, the new church in Iowa new church. We pray for the success of that congregation, that they would um, come together as a church and, 
and support each other and pray for each other and that they would bring people to Christ. Churches grow because people want to bring others to Christ. Pray for the men's retreat coming up that the men would come and they, they would grow close together, they grow close to you and that would just be a blessing. We pray for ongoing ministries of this church, for Awana and our need for helpers in Awana, God. Pray that kids would come and just love being at Awana, getting to know your word, the B-I-B-L-E, as Marcia said. For KLB, starting up for adults and kids this uh, September, adult education, Bonnie teaching on um, knowing our faith, how important that is. We give thanks, God, for Elijah's baptism last week, how wonderful it is to see children who want to have a relationship with you come to Christ and be baptized. And we give thanks for Mark Barnes' uh, eighth grandchild, Justice. Thank you for that, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Stuart. We're going to prepare now to come before.